Today I want to look at the vanities of idols. Because you know the main text we deal with is Exodus 20 and verse number 5. If you look at verse 3 down, talks about number 3 down to 5, talks about if you worship idols, the Lord will visit iniquities of the Father and the third and fourth generation. So the key thing is idol worship. The, the reason why God will visit is because of idol worship. Are we all together? So I want to look at the vanity of idols. Uh, initially, I did uh, make you to understand why God is really, really angry with people who get into idolatry. And the major thing is because these idols you go into, they kind of take the place of God in your life. And that is why the Bible says it's a jealous God. So what that really means is if you go into idol worship, you're trying to say the idols can protect you, can provide for you more than God can. In other words, you're trusting in the power of the idols to make provision and protection for your life. So it makes him jealous. And like I said, the jealousy is not because he feels the idol is competing with him in that sense. But like I tried to explain, it really makes us to see that God who uh, have you as a wife, as somebody else is trying to or is going on, or you as a wife of God is going out with another man. And every husband is a jealous man. Is that alright? Come on, are we together? And that is why you talk about, if you go to the book of Hosea, when you begin to read the book of Hosea, you find that he was talking about adultery or whatever, halotry uh, to the house of Israel. But the halotry was directly connected to their worship of idols. So idolatry and halotry, they are synonymous. So anytime God finds his people shift from him, he said they are in halotry. And that is because they are worshiping the idols. Amen? Are you there? Okay, so we're looking at the vanity of idols tonight. And like I said before, uh, in the last studies, we need to have this at the back of our mind. That anything you don't practice, anything you don't put effort to ensure that it sustained, dies out on its own naturally. I mentioned that last week. Let's read the scripture in Proverbs 26 verse 20. Proverbs 26, verse number 20. And the Bible says, Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So, where there is no tabera, the strife seize it. Um, the message says, When you run out of wood, the fire goes out. And that's the A part I want us to take. When you run out of wood, the fire goes out. Which means anywhere there was supposed to be a fire burning and there is no more wood, then the fire will go out on its own. Amen? And that applies to the worship of idols. Even if they similarly were supposed to be powers manifested by certain shrines or whatever the case may be, once there are no people attending to that shrine, the power literally will vacate. So, what makes the idol power to continue to operate, like we're dealing with last uh, week from the book of Ezekiel 18, if there have to be anything at all, like I tried to explain last week that the only way by which you can attract generational causes is to do or to continue to do the things that your fathers did. I'm, I'm sure you remember that. And that's the simple truth about it. So, if there is no fire I mean, there's no wood the fire goes out means if there are shrines in your family before and you are no longer attending to those shrines, the power will literally go. Amen? The shrine will literally pack out on its own. It will just vacate on its own because no attention and nothing whatsoever. So the fire goes out. Amen? Alright, so I want you to know that at the back of your mind. So, it simply also means that if there have been anything before in your family, that will perhaps a hindrance or whatever the case may be, anybody have told you, once you do not give room to it, when you do not 
um, seem to perpetuate it by attending to such a force in your family, that power will literally go out on its own. It will just die out on its own. That's the simple principle of God's word. Whatever, you know, like I said before, you hear people say, um, okay, for instance, you talk about revival. You go to church and they say, revival, right? What, what are you trying to mean? In the true sense, they mean to say, um, the spirit is cold. Let's do something about it. Is that okay? Okay, why is the spirit cold? Mean we are not pushing the way we're supposed to push. We're not doing what we're supposed to do. So the spirit is going down. So let's have some revival meetings. Okay. So that's what it means. Okay, now, so if take for instance, uh, there are demonic powers and, uh, and there are no revivals in your family. So what happened to them? <laughs> Hallelujah. So fortunately, we find that is the body... Of believers, the Christians, if I may use the word, who believe into these things that are creating revival in the demonic world. They are giving power to these things to manifest because they do not only believe in it, they also try to promote it. Because the more emphasis you put on a particular thing, the more prevalent the thing is. And let me quickly explain something to us here. If we were to be running this local assembly with the mindset of deliverance, are you listening to me? Once you come into this place, the atmosphere is already filled with the presence of that spirit. And you will literally see people manifesting. Because the atmosphere has been created on that. And it's all a mindset, it's all a belief system. You see? It's all just about a belief system. So that's exactly the way it is. What people believe... The more they believe into the, that same thing, the more those things happen, the more it works wherever they find themselves. So again, you find that if you go to churches that talk about deliverance more than anything else, you are definitely going to be seeing manifestation because that is the atmosphere that has been created. Amen? And that is why you find that uh, Saul, uh, Saul now, King Saul, right, could prophesy, though he was not a prophet, neither was he a son of the prophet. Why was he prophesying? Because the sons of the prophet were under Samuel. Is that okay? And the atmosphere was a prophetic atmosphere. So when Saul went in there, the Bible says he started prophesying. But mind you, this guy was prophesying with an evil spirit and was prophesying, prophesying naked. In the face of his kind, anyway. That was a good one. Amen? Praise God. Did you catch that? Okay, so what I'm saying is, we create the atmosphere for things to work. So, if there are demons separating in a community, for instance, and you do not give attention to them, you do not perpetrate anything that will enable them to remain, they definitely will park and get out of that place, if at all. But I want to show you tonight the vanity of idols. Let's start reading. First of all, God gave a warning to Israel over this matter. So let's quickly start reading from Deuteronomy chapter 4. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 4. The vanities of idols. That's what we're dealing with tonight. In relation to our visit iniquities of your father until the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Is that okay? If you come in to worship idols, I'll visit. Okay. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse number 12 and then to 13. And the Lord spake unto you. Moses speaking. Out of the midst of the fire, ye hear the voice of the west, but saw no similitude, only you heard the voice of God. In other words, you didn't see any shape when God was talking to you. Is that okay? And men are looking for the shape of Jesus today. No problem. But when God was speaking to the children of Israel, right there on my sign, and the Bible says you heard the voice, but you saw no similitude, no form, no shape. In fact, God has no hardship at all. He has shape in Jesus. Amen. Verse 13. And he declared unto you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, even ten commandments, and he wrote them upon two tablets of stones. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgment, that you might do them in the land without you go over to possess it. Take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves, for ye saw no manner of similitude emphasis on the day that the Lord spake unto you in Horeb out of the midst of fire. Yes, I mean, let you corrupt yourself. Are you there? And make you a graven image and the similitude of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any beast that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged fowl 
that flyeth in the air, the likeness of anything that creepeth on the ground, the likeness of any feet that is in the waters beneath the earth. And thou shalt lift up thy eyes unto heaven, and when thou seest the moon and the uh, the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the hosts of heaven, shall be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord thy God that hath commanded unto all nations on uh, uh, what is it? Divided unto all nations under the whole heaven. Is that alright? Okay. He is saying those who don't know God, because we say given to the other nations under the whole heavens, it's not talking about the other nations who do not have Him as their God. Is that okay? Come on, are we together? So he's saying, other people who do not have me as their God, they look unto these creatures as their source of life and survival. Now this story, as I was doing this, a lot of things were ministering to me, because sometimes, I don't know, but we may have time to do with all of that, but a lot of issues begin to run through my mind. Uh, for instance, you talk about the moon here. And the moon, what normally you have, you call it lunar moon. The lunar moon. Now, the lunar moon is from where you also have what you call lunatic. <laughs> so then, is it that the spirit of madness comes from the moon? But again, you find that when Jesus healed people, the Bible said they come back to their right mind. Say, is lunatism any connection with the mind? I'm just thinking. Okay, let's leave that meanwhile. Are you still there with me? So, here we are. The Bible is saying, the nation that do not have God, they end up worshipping idols. By implication, if you are a worshipper of God, if you are a child of God, you have nothing to do with idol, and you have nothing to do with idol. Is that okay? And he said, it is for other nations that do not have him. By implication, if you get yourself involved in any form of idolatry, automatically you separate yourself from God. Or from the community of God. And what's the next thing? Protection from God's community can no longer be yours. Because God can only protect His people. He can only provide for His people. Are you there with me? Okay. Let's see men's own idol. Let's go down to Psalm 115. But I really want you to pick this very strongly because it's very important. Psalm 115 verse number 3. The Bible says, But our God is in the heavens. He has done whatever he has pleased. Their idols, talking about other nations now, are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. Verse 5. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes, have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses, have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusted in them. Amen. Now the key thing here is trust. Hallelujah. These people cannot, or these idols, I'm trying to say, biblical point of view and definition is very clear. Idols have no power. Is that okay? I don't care whatever anybody worships and whatever manifestation. My Bible says idols have no power. Period. Idols only have power when you give them power. Watch this. They brought the God of the Philistines called Dagon. And placed them in the same place where the ark of God was placed. What happened to Dagon? The Bible said it fell down and was broken to pieces. Are we all together? What does that indicate to you? It means if you truly stand in the presence of God, there is nothing that an idol can do. If you truly believe it. Is that okay? Are you following what I'm talking about now? You see, God is saying everyone that trusts in idol is like the idol themselves. 
And again, if you can revise that, if you also trust in God, you want to be like God. Do you understand that? Because what you trust in, you become. It works for you. You trust in idol, idol is going to work for you in that sense. But listen, the thing is, it cannot preserve you, it can protect you. How many of you have ever been to a shrine? Whether you've not been there or not, you watch films and whatever thing that have to do with shrines, especially here in Africa. And there is nobody that really goes to the shrine and gets it perfectly good. Whatever thing you call results. Am I right? Everything that ever promise you, everything that ever give to you, will end up becoming a problem in your life. It shows that they don't have a solution to your problem. Hallelujah. I, I know in those days, oh come on, him. thank you father. I know in those days, there used to be somebody called Pele, who used to be a magician. Professor Pele. Remember that? We used to do a lot of magic, you know, somebody can slice the wife and whatever. You know, whatever. He wasn't even saying he was, uh, you know, I don't worship or something. He is simply a magician. Now, all those things he was doing were miracles in our language, if you, if you want, if you want to. Am I right? Those are miracles. Somebody can slice a wife and package the wife. That's a miracle. <laughs> are you getting that? But you're simply magic. The people were simply being hypnotized. The wife wasn't literally going to die. <laughs> so you go to a shrine and certain manifestations are brought forth. Doesn't mean they are real. Hallelujah. I would never forget when I was in school, then I wasn't a believer. But I remember one professor, Yewole, in those days. I don't know if he's still alive. Right? I remember when he, he said he was coming to a Dothsayed State when we were in school or whatever. That he was coming for, for a meeting of witches and wizards. And uh, I remember the late Ben Sinatch, Bishop in Dowser said, As long as I'm in Benin, that meeting cannot hold. And these are the kind of people I love. Not people trying to organize meeting for prayer conference. He didn't organize any prayer. He simply said, oh, but you can't come. And this one, it was declared openly in the newspapers. So as long as I'm in Benin, I've been seen in the house that is in Benin. You can't hold your meeting in Benin. And that was the end of it. Professor, finally, I think I was made to understand uh, he repented or something as the case may be. He couldn't come in the medical hole. I remember cutting the piece of paper. Then Nigeria Observer. I remember cutting the whole of those things. I was very inquisitive. Every publication about that contest, I was holding it. Today, when witches are mentioned, Christians are, they are closing their door and calling for prayer meeting, fire, Holy Ghost, fire, Holy Ghost, fire. They don't know the God they are worshipping. When their God was brought before the ark, it crashed. I was broken to pieces. Praise the living God. I those have no power. Amen. You give them power. You make them as strong as they are. Don't forget the scripture. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. Hallelujah. Look at Jonah's confession. The book of Jonah. Some of you have got a problem now. Because you may not be able to find the book of Jonah in your Bible. But there's a book called the book of Jonah. In case you've read it once. <laughs> hey, some men are looking at me. I wonder if they have Jonah in the Bible. Jonah chapter 2, look at verse 7 and 8 to 9. Is anybody in the book of Jonah now? Yes, Serious. Okay. Look at what he says. When my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee. Unto the holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pray that that I have vowed salvation is of the Lord. Now verse 8 is the key thing. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Lying vanities is synonymous to idol worshippers. Fine, good. That's like vanity. Worthless idols. Idols that have no power. Those that, you know, observe them. Those that worship idols. Those that trust in idols. 
Bible said they forsake their own mercy. The place of deliverance, the place of protection, the place of the grace of God is taken away from you. When you observe lying vanities. Hallelujah. By implication, when you begin to get engaged in idol worship, you're separating yourself from the mercy of God. And Jonah said, I will pay that that I vowed because salvation is of the Lord. What he's trying to say, salvation does not belong to idols. Protection, provision doesn't belong to idols. Watch everybody that gets rich through idolatry, through any form of sacrifices. They don't end up well. You know, even in your society. Is that alright? But the blessings of the Lord make it rich and he had no sorrow. That's a big difference between an idol worshiper and the man who trusts in God. Hallelujah. Salvation is of the Lord. So those are the lying vanity, they trust in idol, they follow vain predictions, they follow, you know, you see a man giving predictions, giving all manner of things, you know, and then you get engaged with such things. You live in a deception, no protection from those things. Not one bit. They throw the oracles and they tell you what is this, what is that. And then you get yourself involved in any kind of... You're just wasting your time because there is no salvation in those things. They are trusting life vanities. They forsake the mercy of the Lord. Vanity of idols. Amen? Hallelujah. And don't forget, you connect it to what we're dealing with, which is in Exodus 20. So, if Israel had to go into idolatry, that means they forsake the mercy of the Lord. Can you get a picture? Right. And if they forsake the mercy of the Lord, that means other nations will come and take them into captivity. That's not exactly what he was saying in Exodus 20. That's why I made you to understand that that very law was a national law. It was a national law for the whole nation of Israel. It was not basically an individual law. Amen? Praise the Lord. Talk with me to Psalm 31. Psalm 31. And then I look at verse number 6. Now here David was speaking. He said, verse number 6. I have hated them that regard lying vanities. That I trust in the Lord. Same thing that Jonah was talking about. Is that okay? Hallelujah. In other words, I trust in the Lord. What I trust in lying vanities. For an idol is nothing in the world. They are lying vanities. They can make promises that they cannot fulfill. But I trust in Jehovah who can make promises and bring deformities to fulfillment. And God himself is all sufficient and is my shepherd. And therefore, I will like nothing good. Remember what he said. The Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, I will not want. Is that okay? So what he's saying is, elders cannot make provisions. Even if they promise you, they can fulfill their promises. And that is why you get involved in idol worship. You see that you continue to be going and coming. What I mean is, you go today, they make a promise. You go back, the next day you have to come back. You have to come back. You have to keep coming back. They just cannot deliver every promise they make. Unlike God. That's what David is saying. That's why I hate them. In other words, they are living in deception. Amen? Hallelujah. So you get involved in one of them. Maybe they tell you bring a chicken. The next one they say bring a goat. And the goat have not walked. Bring a sheep. And the sheep is not walking. Maybe they okay, you just try a cow. Huh? To your own destruction. You end up talking about the devil. The devil has nothing to do. Is you forsaking what? The mercy of the Lord. Where salvation proceeds from. Hallelujah. Are you see there? Okay. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. A little bit. And then uh, go to 1 Corinthians. But this is part of what Paul have to say. But look at Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 39 only. Let's look at something there. Deuteronomy 4 39. 39 says, No therefore this day, and consider it in thy heart, that the Lord, He is God in heaven and above, Heaven above and upon the earth beneath, there is none else. 
There is none else. Amen. No other God anywhere in creation. One God. There is none else. Now, remember he said this to the house of Israel. What he was trying to emphasize to them is, don't trust in anything outside of me. But for protection or whatever. Amen? Are you getting what I'm saying here? I have a story of a young man who was in school. And uh, in the area, there was a fight going on. So his landlord called him in the north, anyway. His landlord called him and said, I love you, I love the way you behave, and I love your conduct. I want to fortify you, because in our community we are good in having uh, medicines for chance, I mean, against dangerous weapons. So they fortified this guy, he went through the whole of the ceremony, seven days, and then fortified the case maybe, and they gave him a little amulet to put in his pocket. Wherever he goes, he must keep it with him. Right. Now this guy traveled back home on holidays. And the next thing was the landlord of his cousin, where they were staying, just walked to the parlor one evening while they were there drinking together. And they put a pistol on the table. And he said, anybody who can use this pistol should first try me. And then I'll shoot the person back. And so everybody was amazed, was wondering what is going on. And then... The young man realized that what they tried to do for him can prevent the gun firing because it will neutralize the weapon of the other man. But if he dare to fire that man, he's also going to neutralize him and get him. So he ran. And when this man could find no one to do what he was supposed to do, what he did was to take the gun and said, okay, let me try it and see. So he fired the gun upstairs and the thing just blasted the whole of his hand. His own gun. Now, what's the implication of what I've just said? When you attempt these things, you are going to attract certain things to prove what you have. Do you understand that? <laughs> when you try to visit those shrines, to get to those people to make some medicines, you are going to see certain things to prove what you have done. Save yourself. By not agreeing to visit any of their shrines. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, the practical need to happen in only uh, 19, whatever. Okay, that's alright. So here we say, there is no other God. There's but one God. Amen. Okay, look at First Corinthians 8. Let's begin to move down a little bit. See what Paul has to say on this. First Corinthians 8. You know, I like the way Jeremiah described their own. Jeremiah said, well, they're going to get one red piece of cloth. They're going to tie it up here. And you know, we do all of those things, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Put one piece of cloth. It could be red, it could be blue. Different, different piece of cloth, you know. Very funny thing. I remember, even, you know, even today, people do all of those in their farms so that thieves don't come in. But thieves have come to realize those red pieces of cloth have no power. They cut your plantain and go away free of charge. Forget about your red piece of cloth. Amen. Gone are the days where men were afraid of red feet of God. Not now. They have become too wise. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I do have nothing. They have no power. That's the honest truth. I gave you a picture sometime. When I was young, we went to school. No see for them. And we're going back home and we're very hungry. You know, we played for a long time. And now evening was coming. We're very hungry. We're going back home. We're about three. And then we looked around and found that there was little altar by the riverside. Three bottles of coke were there, and some yam, some plantain, man. We looked at this thing, and somebody said, boy, what's that? Man, that is good. <laughs> so, we migrated towards the altar, and then we made good of the coke. I went back home, <laughs> hallelujah. You, you get what I'm talking about? I mean, nothing. There was no visitation, there was no dream, there was nobody coming to question me, why did you drink the coke? We had the coke. Somebody put it there. It was for us after playing from school. Nothing. It's when you believe. Now, if somebody have come to tell you now, hey, that coke you took, eh? and then they describe something, man, that night you are going to have terrible dreams. Now, you know what? Nobody knew we did that. We didn't tell our parents. Nobody was going to tell us, hey, you've committed a crime. 
As long as there was no question of you committing a crime, there was no guilty conscience, there was no dream. I does have no power. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Okay, First Corinthians 8. Are you there with me? I want to read from the message. I'm reading from verse 1 to 7. First Corinthians 8, 1 to 7. It says, The question keeps coming up regarding meat that has been offered up to an idol. Should you attend meals where such meat is observed or served? We sometimes tend to think we know all we need to know to answer these kind of questions. But sometimes our humble heart can help us more than our proud minds. Now let me give you a background to this. This was Corinthian church. We had um, Jewish believers. We had the Gentile believers. And there were other group of people called the Karaites. K-A-R-A-I-T-E. They called them the Karaites. Now to them... Any animal that is marked, right? Marked for a particular shrine. You can't eat that animal. In other words, if the animal is killed, right? But they marked the animal before. That maybe uh, two days time, or they are going to slaughter the animal for this particular shrine. Whatever. Or they mark it at all, put a mark on the body, and finally they killed it. And then they take the body to the market for sale. After they've taken the blood, whatever the case may be. Is that okay? This group of people say you cannot touch it because it is marked. It belongs to idol. In other words, the mark associate the animal with what? With the idol. Is that okay? And now that's something I want to make you see now. It means the scripture is saying idol equals to demons. When you read it, you're going to find it. Okay. So that's, that's the beginning. Now the Jewish believers also tend to be agreeing with the Karaites on this angle. But the Gentiles said, no, that cannot be. Because there is nothing like an idol. So the animal belongs to God. Whether anybody marked it before, whatever, if it is sold in the market, they don't have to come to the market and begin to ask. Because the implication is when you go to the market, said, was this one marked? Which one was marked? You know, before you buy. Are you getting that? Okay, so that's the background to this passage. Verse 4 says, Some people say, quite rightly, that idols have no actual existence and that there is nothing to them. That there is no God other than one God, which is what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 39. Is that okay? Okay, verse 5. That no matter how many of these so-called gods are named and worshipped, they still don't add up to anything but a story, a tall story. They say, again, quite rightly, that there is only one God, the Father, that everything comes from Him, and that He wants us to live for Him. Also, they say that there is only one Master, Jesus the Messiah, and that everything is for His sake, including us. Yes, it is true. Now, verse 7 says, understand what Paul is about to say now. He is actually trying to build unity within the body. Is that okay? Because now there are three people that are having an issue. So he's trying to solve that particular problem. So he must understand his language in context. Verse number 7. In strict logic, then, nothing happened to the meat when it was offered up to an idol. It's just like any other meat. I know that. And you know that. But knowing isn't everything. It becomes everything. It becomes, if it becomes everything. Some people end up as know-it-alls who treat others as know-nothing. Real knowledge isn't that it's sensitive. We need to be sensitive to the fact that we are not all the same level of understanding in this. Please, I would like you to mark that if you have that in your Bible. Whichever translation, whichever way. The difference in people in the church, what they get, how they live, is knowledge. Do you understand this? Hallelujah. Okay. Have you done that? Alright. So we need to be sensitive to the fact that we are not all the same level of understanding in this. Some of you have spent your entire lives eating idol meat. And I'm sure that there is something bad in the meat. That then becomes something bad inside of you. Watch that. And imagination and conscience shift under those conditions isn't going to change overnight. And I want you to understand. 
Hallelujah. It says, imagination and conscience that have been shaped all this while cannot be changed overnight. So there are people who have the consciousness that an idol made is defiled. Alright? And there are people that says it amounts to nothing. We can eat it and nothing happens. Are you getting the picture? Good. Either of the two, you have a conscience that has been shaped and developed for years. And that is exactly what we're having in church today. Where people see more of demons in almost everything. It's a consciousness that has been developed over the years. Changing that is an issue. Hallelujah. Are you following this? Is that an imagination and conscious shift under those conditions isn't going to change overnight. That's what I want you to see. So, the fact is, there is nothing like an idol. Is that alright? Because they are all vanities, they are all lies, they are emptiness. They can threaten you, but there is no power. You give them power because you believe into them. Amen. Praise the living God. Let me tell you something. Do you know you could be walking in the night and because you are built and filled with fear, you can literally hear footsteps behind you? Are you getting that? Nobody there, but you just feel somebody is behind you. So every time you walk, you'll be looking back. Why are you looking back? You're trying to feel the pace is already catching up with you. But nobody there. Your mind. Your consciousness. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, turn very quickly to Ezekiel 20. Ezekiel 20. Consciousness or conscience is a powerful thing. Your belief system is a very powerful thing. And these are the things we need to guide against in our walk with God. Otherwise we get into trouble every day. Things you hear, things you believe, they actually shape your life. That's the key thing. They shape your life. Okay. Ezekiel 20 verse 18. Now let, let, oh, come on here. Thank you, Father. Let me explain something a little bit while we are opening to that place. Ezekiel 20. I'm reading from verse 18. You know Balaam. You see, when Balak went to Balaam, he made a statement. He said, I know whoever you cause his cause. That means Balak have been causing people before. No, 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 no. Read the Bible. <laughs> How many of you understand that? He said, I know whoever you cause is cause. That means he have been a professional. <laughs> he been used to causing people. But now when he met with God, he could not cause. That's what I'm saying. Did you get the difference? As long as Israel was on the side of God, though he was a professional causer, he couldn't cause people. You just be on the side of God. No cause will land on you. It doesn't matter who had been there. It doesn't matter the level of shrine or the power the person has. Bala was a professional man. Listen, I'm saying this man was being paid to cause people. He said, we know that whosoever you cause is cause. So take this money and cause. That was his business. In fact, to me, Bala was a witchcraft. He was practicing witchcraft. I don't care whether he was seeing vision and dreams in the open. It is the same thing people do today by going to the shrine. Are you getting what I'm talking about? And then they take the picture of somebody and pay money to the herbalist to do what? To cause a person. What I'm saying is, even if anybody takes your picture to a shrine, as long as you're on the side of God, no cause can land on you. That is what the Bible teaches. Vanity. The only way that those cause will ever work on you is when you forsake the mercy of the Lord. Jonah 2, 7 and 8. When you forsake and begin to trust in lying vanities, whatever they say will affect you. But as long as you are on the side of God, just like Balaam, it won't work. Hallelujah. Come on, are you there with me? Okay, Ezekiel 20, verse 18 now. It says, But I said unto the children in the wilderness, Walk ye not in the statutes of your fathers. Neither observe their judgment, nor defile yourself with their idols. Can you get that? It means Israel forsook God at a point in time and begin to go into idolatry. 
And he said, verse 19, I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and keep my judgment and do them. And hallow my Sabbath and they shall be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Notwithstanding, the, the children rebel against me. They walk not in my statutes, neither kept my judgment to do them. Which if a man do, he shall even live in them. They polluted my Sabbath. Then I said, I will pour out my fury upon them to accomplish my anger against them in the wilderness. Nevertheless, I withdrew my hand and wrought for my name's sake that it should not be polluted in the sight of the heading in whose sight I brought them forth. Amen. Did you get that? Why was God intending to punish these people? Because they went into what? Idolatry. Please let me explain this to you one more time. You have come to believe God. You have come to trust in God. When you find yourself in this idol worship, it is God himself that is going to deal with you. Are you getting what I'm talking about? Why? Because he's jealous. He's jealous. You should know, like in the book of Leviticus, we have what we call the spirit of jealousy. Say if a wife should leave the husband, go out and have issues, whatever the case may be, they have to come to the priest, they have to wash whatever, and then they will drink the stomach. You remember that? Praise the Lord. God is jealous. He doesn't want you to share his glory with any other power. Any other, no matter how powerful he sees, he doesn't. To God, that is an idol. It doesn't matter how clean the person may be. Listen, he could be the one putting on white garment, putting on cassock, putting anything. Sorry to say, he can even be in the church. Amen? If it takes your mind away from trusting in God, it's an idol. Hallelujah. That's why Andrew told me had in chapter 18, 13 and then 18 also, and then 21 and there. But you find God saying the same thing. He said, even if a prophecy comes, a prophet or a dreamer of dream comes to give you everything is perfect, whatever, but it turns you away from the Lord. Can you get that? So anything that turns your mind away from God, from trusting in something else, is an idol before God. And God is a jealous God. You end up suffering for it. At that time, man, if you like, call the devil, if you like, call whatever name you want to call. No solution. Amen. Okay, let's see one more time what happened to Israel with regards to the Deuteronomy 32 now. Deuteronomy 32, let's look at verse 16. Hallelujah. Are you there? Scripture says, They provoke him to jealousy with strange gods. Which has to do with idols now. Amen. With abominations provoked they him to anger. They sacrifice unto devils, not to God. To gods whom they knew not. To new gods that they came nearly up with, newly up, whom their fathers feared not. Now, I want you to see that. The use of the word gods and devils are interchangeably used in this Bible, in this passage. Did you notice that? Did you notice that? Look at verse 17. They sacrifice unto devils, not to God. But how are they making the sacrifice unto devils? Unto idols, unto shrines. Amen? To gods whom they knew not. To new gods that they came up newly up. I mean, they came up newly up, whom their fathers feared not. And I see that going on almost all, almost all the time. We're developing new gods in the church. New doctrines. Huh? Come on, are you there? Yeah. New, new doctrines, new, new, I don't know, all manner of things coming up that have nothing to do with Bible. Nothing to do with Bible. People keep bombarding me every day by Isaiah 14, Isaiah 14, Lucifer, Lucifer. Lucifer have nothing to do. I mean, I got about two mails just this week. Please, can you help us with Lucifer? Isaiah 14. Have nothing to do with an angel. One bit. Hallelujah. Nothing. Study diligently. I've already told people. It's one of the fathers of Christian faith called Origin. The actually spiritualized that passage. It was never believed until this man said, that must be the devil. 
Lucifer, Satan. It was origin that spiritualized that place. It had nothing to do with biblical interpretation. Lucifer had nothing one be to do with an angel that fell from heaven. Not at all. That's a lie of the church. Not a lie of the devil. It's a lie of the church. Hmm? We'll deal with that some other time. You like to hear more on that? You see, what I'm trying to say is we bring in our goals and doctrines that were not there, which our fathers never feared, the true worshippers of God. Hallelujah. Look at verse 18. Of the rod that beget thou thee art unmindful, and hast forgotten God that formed thee. And when the Lord saw it, he abhorred them. What does it mean to abhor? Hate. Because of the provoking of his sons and of his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be. For they are a very forward generation. Children in whom is no fate. Too bad. Did you get that? I will see what their end will be. Let them keep on trusting in those gods. Let them keep on worshipping those gods. I've seen a people in whom there is no fate. So, when you begin to give your trust to the idol, God himself gets jealous to say, you have no faith. No faith in him, no trust in him. Hallelujah. Verse 21. They have moved me to jealousy. Can you see that? Without which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities. What is vanity? Idols. And I will move them to jealousy with those which are naughty people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For the fire is kindled in my anger, and shall burn unto the lowest hell, and shall consume the earth with her increase, and set on fire the foundation of the mountains. Okay, I will heap mischief upon them, I will spend my arrows upon them, they shall be burnt with anger, devoured with burning heat, and with bitter destruction. I will also send the teeth of beasts upon them, with the poison of serpent of the dust. Amen. Praise God. This is God just speaking because the people went into what? Idolatry. I'm trying to make you see how God's anger is provoked when you find you putting your trust in things outside of Him. Praise the living God. Turn with me to First Peter 4. Your redemption. First Peter 4. Amen. It says. First Peter 4, I look at verse 1 down to, down to 3, then go to First Peter 1. First Peter 4, 1. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his life in the flesh to the loss of men, but of the will of God, to the will of God. For in the time past of your life, of our life, may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we walk in lasciviousness, when we walk in lust, when we walk in excess of wine, revilings, banqueting, and abominable idolatry. Abominable idolatry. In other words, getting involved in idol worship in an abominable form. In other words, Doing festivals and ceremonies that promotes idolatry. Praise the living God. Amen? So it's called abominable idolatry. Okay, go back to First Peter 1. Let's look at verse 18 and see where you are. The Bible is saying you were once in this place. You were once doing that. Yes, of course. You were once an idol worshiper. You once believed into them. You once partook in all of those ceremonies. You made sacrifices. But something have changed. Hallelujah. Something have changed. And as long as you are doing that far, whatever your fathers were doing, you can attract them. They can come to you. You can, you know, literally speak about them or do things like that. But now things have changed. First Peter 1 verse 18. For as much as you know, are you there with me? That you were not redeemed. How many of you understand what redemption means? You were bought back. You were not redeemed with corruptible things. A silver and gold. Hallelujah. From your vain conversation, received by what? Tradition from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 
who verily was ordained before the foundation of the world, but manifested in this last time for you. Amen. Hallelujah. Let me read it from the, just 17 from the message. You call out to God for help and he helps. He's a good father that way. But don't forget, he's also a responsible father and would let you get by with sloppy living. Your life is a journey. You must travel with a deep consciousness of God. Can I hear an amen to that? Verse 18. It caused God plenty to get you out of that dead end. Empty, head, dead life you grew up in. It caused God. He paid with Christ's sacred blood. You know. He died like an unblemished sacrificial lamb. And this was no afterthoughts. Even though it has only lately, at the end of the ages, become public knowledge. God always knew he was going to do this for you. Verse 21. It's because of this sacrifice, sacrifice Messiah, whom God has raised from the dead and glorified, that you trust God. That you know you have a future in God. Can I say amen to that? What do you have? A future in God. Why? Because of the sacrificial lamb. My friend, your powers have nothing to compare with the price God paid. Your powers have nothing to compare with what God has in future for you. So there is nothing about your parents, there is nothing about the sin of your father that can contest with the blood that Jesus paid and what God provided for you before the foundation of the world. He said it was not an afterthought. That means he planned it and then he executed it. Hallelujah. This blood is speaking better than that of Abel. Hmm? You know what the blood of Abel speaks of? Vengeance. <laughs> Are you getting that? The blood keeps saying, God, pay back. You know, deal with them. They did this to me. Look at Cain, blood. But there's another blood that says, God, forgive them. Hallelujah. Say this blood is speaking better than the blood of Abel. So whatever sins your father committed. What is the scripture saying? I will not remember their iniquities no more. Why? Because of this blood. He said you were not bought with some vain things. You were not bought with things that can be exchanged. Oh come on here. Silver and gold are a medium of exchange. Is that okay? You are not bought with things that can be exchanged for anything. You are bought with that which is precious that have foundation in God himself. It has the blood of God flowing right now in your life. Because you were not bought. Listen, if you need to understand something, catch it right. Any price paid is equivalent to what is being bought. Is that okay? Are you there with me? So the value of the blood of Jesus is the value of the life of a man. And because you've been paid for, there is no parental causes that can have hold in your life. God bless you.